If you'd like to join Deep South Dharma in helping hungry people feed themselves, take a look at BuddhistGlobalRelief.org and follow up on their Buddhist Action for the Hungry. In fact, you can find our page there and be part of our team if you like. Hi, this is Christy Bates of Oxford, Mississippi. Welcome to episode 138 of the Deep South Drama podcast, being released Saturday, September 25th, 2021. Our talk is taken from last Monday's Dharma Talk at our Monday night group. The title is, What Do We Mean by Practice? And I wanted to uh, talk tonight about um, what do we mean by practice? Um, I, don't, I don't know about you guys, but I know that when I first um, started hearing this word a lot uh, coming into practice circles, it was, um, I actually found it irritating because I thought they just meant meditation. So I thought, well, if, if meditation is what we're talking about, you know, shouldn't they just say meditation? <laughs> and, um, but actually, um, that's, I found that, that there's a lot more to it than that. Um, I was just hearing the word as a verb and uh, practice as a verb is uh, by definition uh, to perform an activity or skill repeatedly or regularly in order to improve or maintain one's proficiency. So to my mind, at one point that meditation, um, meditating repeatedly, building skill, all of that. Um, Because in the beginning of my Dharma practice, at least in this lifetime, I described myself as a contemplative Christian. And in my understanding at that time, that meant two things. One was it meant a particular way of viewing scripture. Um, It was uh, viewing scripture in in sort of a a union way in which all of the characters, the names of cities, the uh, significant activities, all of these represented aspects of the human psyche. And so um, that was a a way of of reading scripture that that resonated and that that felt I had some integrity to it for me. And then um, secondly, uh, being a contemplative meant meditation, being interested in listening, not only speaking, not only speaking prayers, but listening. And so those understandings allowed me to enjoy the sense of devotion and fellowship in the Christian settings of, of you know, the part of the country I lived in um, with that sense of integrity. Now, I I had been already attempting some form of daily meditation since I began family member recovery in June of 85. And in these circles, 
just like in Christian scripture, there was this um, training, you could say, this assurance that um, if you go to a quiet place, both a physically quiet place and a quiet place in your own mind and heart, you can gain more clear access to reality. Um, you can gain some insight into a situation or even a, a sense of guidance about the next right thing. Um, so I already understood the value of, um, of, that, of that kind of practice and had already experienced some of the benefit of that. But as the next right steps kept leading more and more into Dhamma practice, I began to encounter the word practice as a noun. Um, and so that, hence that was, like I said, that sort of sense of, um, you know, what, what do they mean by that? Um, now, when we talk about practice as a noun, that definition is the actual application or use of an idea, belief, or method as opposed to theories relating to it. Um, and so, of course, even when you use the word practice as a noun, you get a little flavor of meditation in the sense of applying a method. But... Um, but there was also this recognition um, that here was something where a lot of emphasis was being placed on applying the method and seeing if it works for you. Um, you know, very often we hear in um, the suttas, the Buddhist scriptures, the Buddha encouraging people to uh, check things out for yourself, to check things out for ourselves and and, and that if our own investigation, if, if in our own investigation, we come to a, a, a different conclusion about something than, than he came to, then, then, then we should trust our own investigation. But that requires some investigation. So, um, and so someone who has, who has not cultivated a practice, who has not actualize the potential of their mind and heart to see reality as it is, um, they're, they're, they're not in a position. We are, <laughs> I include myself in that I'm not a fully realized being, so we're not in a position uh, to argue with the Buddha's perception of things. Um, and yet there is that encouragement that if you develop your capacity, um, you can trust what you you can trust your realizations. So the Buddha was very methodical in his practice of awakening and described his meditation practice in some detail in a number of the suttas. Um, and so it's clear that to have a meaningful relationship to the Dhamma, there needs to be regular meditation. And this is a regular training to cultivate the mind and hearts, the, the potential of citta to see what's happening to clarify our perception, not just our intellectual knowledge, but our perception of what's happening. Um, but the actual application of practice in Buddhism has to do not only with the practice of mindfulness or other forms of meditation, it has to do with the application of the entire Eightfold Path. Um, in recovery circles, one would say maybe the entire Eightfold Program this involves not just the three past path factors that address meditation, those being um, right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration, 
but also the first five path factors. And those address the way we think, our motives, our communication, our bodily actions, and how we gain and spend resources. Um, the, the methods by which we earn a living and how we spend that, how we spend that money and time. So when those five things are in line with Dhamma, then these other three, the balanced effort, the wise mindfulness, wise concentration, all of these are, uh, not only do they lead to clearer seeing, but they're a lot more enjoyable. And there's this other aspect of the word practice that um, I wanna invite us to contemplate. And that is what are we practicing for? Um, if we look at athletic practice or music practice, we see uh, three areas that sort of go across the board and apply to Dhamma practice too. Um, one is we practice for the sake of the skill itself um, to enjoy the improvement of it and the mastery of it. We practice for the, the discipline and other person, personal qualities it develops in us. Um, I mean, this is one of the main reasons people get their kids involved in activities like sports or music um, because it helps develop these qualities like confidence um, and, and the ability to, to let go of our impulses and choose a wise course of action, even when we're under the gun, even when we are um, having to make quick decisions. Um, and also the ability to, um, to develop calm, even in the midst of a lot of excitement. Um, and then of course, thirdly, we, we, you know, we're practiced for the big game or the big recital, whatever the big show is in, in whatever we're practicing. Now, all of these apply to Dhamma practice as well. We practice the eightfold path for the sake of the skills that it gives us, for the sake of the development of discipline, of truthfulness, uh, goodwill, other excellent qualities of the fully um, developed person. And, and then, you know, in our version of the big recital or the big show would be um, that we're practicing to be able to let go of our reactions, our impulses, and to respond with wisdom and compassion in our day-to-day -day living, right? So that would be sort of the, <laughs> the seasonal games, the, the regular recitals. But then I guess if we're gonna use the games analogy, I guess the Super Bowl of all of this would be at the time of our death. We want to have the ability to be ready for this ultimate letting go at the time of our death so that we can have this chitta, this mind heart that is calm and unconfused at the time of death. Um, you don't wanna be grasping, uh, grasping after your, the body, um, which is not self, grasping after your possessions or your regrets, or even the people you love at the time of death, right? We don't wanna be doing that because to do that, not only uh, if we do that, it would add unnecessary suffering for ourselves and for those near us at the time of our death, but also unnecessary suffering in the next birth. Um, so this is part of what in the early Buddhist teaching, there was a, um, some attention paid to this, that you want to pay attention to the state of your own mind um, at this time of transition. 
And if this language of death and birth bother you, you don't have to fight with yourself about it. Just watch for this and notice this in all of the deaths and rebirths that you have, even within this very lifetime. Um, you'll see that if you can allow one thing to end with, um, with less re reactivity, holding true to your values, um, sort of having a sense of a, a, a balanced uh, rudder uh, to sort of help you get through um, stormy times, then you'll see that whatever is the next chapter, the next birth, the next chapter of life comes about more smoothly with um, less unnecessary suffering. And um, so, you know, in um, the Buddha's awakening consisted, uh, he, as he described it, the Buddha's awakening consisted of three things. Um, it consisted of his remembrance of, um, of all of his past lives. So again, if, if the idea of if that throws you off, you, you, don't, you can table that for now if you need to, but you can even look at it if you want to just look at it within this lifetime, the Buddha was able to look at all of the suffering he had experienced up to this point and sit and saw actions of thought, word, deed that, that created suffering for himself. And then he also saw as he surveyed all of his actions, the, the actions of thought, word, and deed that set him free from that suffering, right? So that was one aspect of his awakening. And then sort of by extension, he also saw how this was true for other beings as well. This sort of experience of cause and effect. So he had his own visceral memory of his previous uh, moments of existence and he saw how how it works that our actions um, and our actions of mind actions of speech actions of body um, help to um, come together to create um, or to to influence and inform and um, affect the, the moments of new birth and he saw how that's true for all beings. Um, and, and thirdly, what he saw when he says what he's, that the third recognition was of the Eightfold Path, that is, is a description of all of these path factors that as he's surveying his life and seeing what worked to lead to suffering and what worked to lead him out of suffering, those, that Eightfold Path, the Four Noble Truths culminating in the Eightfold Path showed him um, the actions that took him out of that, out of those miserable rounds of death and rebirth. And so when we are talking about our practice, our practice this or that, it's helpful to keep in mind what we're practicing for, that we're actually practicing so that in a moment of having to let go, we can stay true to our intention to stay grounded in the Dhamma, to not, um, not try to latch on to a sense of groundedness in our relationships, our, our, our possessions, our ideas about ourselves and what we thought our lives were going to be like, 
um, any of that kind of thing, but that our, um, our grounding, uh, our, you know, our experience in this world is groundless in the sense that uh, things don't last and we can't predict things and uh, we can't make things stay when we want them to and we can't make them go away when we want them to. We don't have totally, there's some, right? We have some influence on some things, but it's actually pretty limited. And so what we have to find any sense of grounding that we create for ourselves has to be in this sense of anchoring into the Dhamma. And that does take practice because this mind and heart that is having this experience gets very confused and drawn in by everything that's going on. And so, um, and so it takes practice to come back to what is true again and again, um, so that we can let our reactions happen and we can let them go and we can, we can let world events happen and we can let them go and we can stay true to um, our own uh, practice and our path. Let's just give ourselves a minute to let that settle. You are always welcome to join Deep South Dharma for a live practice group. Those are occurring these days on Mondays, 7 to 8 p.m. Central Time. You can pick up the Zoom link and join us at deepsouthdharma.org. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Deep South Dharma podcast. We hope you'll feel welcome to share this with anyone you think would find it useful. And as always, feel free to message us your feedback, questions, or topics of interest. Until we meet again, take good care of this body, mind, and heart.